0: So what type of advice would you give to someone who is dying? What do you find those who are in that situation have the hardest time tolerating about end of life?
1: Wow. I don't think we can, it's hard to tell somebody anything, right? Because it has to come from them but i think the most important thing is that that they can experience that they're not alone
2: how can you create a transformation in others if there's no transformation in in yourself join your host greg favaza As your voice on the hard truths of leadership, your transformation station, connecting clarity clarity. to the cutting edge of leadership. As millennials, we can establish change, not only ourselves, but through organizational change, bringing transparency that goes beyond the organization and reflects back into ourselves, Extracting extracting actionable advice and alternative perspectives that will take you outside of yourself.
0: Claudia, welcome to your transformation station. From everything that we've talked about in our initial interview, you have an interesting background. Can you give our audience a snapshot of what you do and what a, I want to make sure I say this right, doula of what that occupation entails along with everything else?
1: Wow. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. Yeah, where should I begin? Um, I do all kinds of things. So I start with my past life. I am a photographer. I work in fashion and advertising. And uh, I started about two years ago um, a coaching business. It's called Permission to Bloom. And um, part of that is also I'm a certified end-of-life doula. And I guess that's what you um, were referring to. Yes, ma'am. Should I explain what that actually is?
0: (laughs) Yes, please uh, dive into the specifics. I researched it myself, but I feel like you could articulate a much better answer than I can throw out there.
1: Well, so yeah, it's a fairly new um, occupation profession, I should say. So doulas, we know doulas from birthing babies. Yes, ma'am. And um, now there is also a doula who helps at the end of life to to, uh, people to transition from form to formless. And um, I had a pretty um, big life crisis about four years ago. And I felt that I was dying, not literally as in my body, but um, emotionally and psychologically. And I was very, um, I got very interested in the topic of death and how synchronicities happen in our lives. Next thing I knew, I was in Boulder, Colorado and on this course and became a certified end of life doula.
0: Now, before we go into um, being a certified doula and what that all entails and your experience, but you originally came from, so you you don't live in the United States. You live in Germany?
1: Mm, Right now, as we're recording, I'm in Germany, but I actually live in um, Venice Beach in California. Okay. yeah, I've lived there for a long time. So I think I'm half Californian by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. So was that your first time, uh, leaving, um, Germany to live Cal- What was the process like? If you could just go into that a little bit, kind of paint the picture of your travels.
1: Of my life.
0: <laughs> a quick little um, snapshot.
1: Yeah. Quick snapshot. I guess I'm born with, um, with the urge of traveling because I did my first trip when I was four years old. Um, But then, so I, I lived in many continents. I lived actually in four continents around the world. Photography took me there, my life. And then I ended up in San Francisco, California.
0: Interesting. I'm a huge traveler. I've traveled across the U S and I just like to understand people's stories on what makes them want to go outside the realm and experience a new environment. And I was just curious what your take was.
1: Foreign culture. um, I'm very, I'm a people person. I love people and I feel it's a gift to meet somebody who is not like me. Mm -hmm. And um, also the places I chose to live, I felt like it's also my choice and I, I expand by living somewhere where I'm, it feels foreign to me. And then, so it's a gift that I get to live there. And if I don't like it, I don't need to complain and I don't need to live there.
0: Now, you mentioned you were a photographer. You have a quite variety of talents you have there. What, when did you get started with that and what drives you behind the lens? <laughs>
1: <sighs> wow. Um, Again, I guess it's my curiosity, maybe, mm-hmm. which always sort of expand from the traveling into taking pictures and capturing what I where I went traveling. Mm-hmm. So I actually started out uh, with um, journalistic work. My I lived in Africa and I I visited remote tribes and I took portraits of them and then it turned into this exhibition in Munich where the ambassador of Nigeria came because faces were blown up ginormous. Um, So I guess all of that and it's the connection. I really think it's the connection um to people and even we don't speak the language, you smile at them and you suddenly feel like you know we we have something in common.
0: Yes, no, I am a people person. Well, I'm an introvert, but I love a great conversation, which makes me feel like I'm a people person. And that is what pulls me out of my realm. And I just was curious as far as what drove you in your travels. And I thought that would be photography.
1: Um, I think in the beginning was probably adventure adventure <laughs> and then you know it went turned into my work into the photography and that enabled me to live in exotic places and earn money and mm-hmm. you know then it's I think in some form and way becomes the norm maybe it's even a little bit of an addiction it's like the thrill
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and so, and that's kind of how I ended up actually in the US. I lived in Singapore. And then one day I woke up and I was like, oh my God, America is <laughs> the ultimate challenge. Yes. I need to live in America. So, you know, it became a thing that I got a visa. So I got a visa for special talent. And I was like, wow, this is it. I made it. You know, I I I can live in America now. So I guess it's yeah, such a spice.
0: It's- that's really cool. I love to hear people's stories. For with your work, is there anywhere it's published? And what exactly is your main focus
1: in regards to photography? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, my website, um, claudiagötzelmann.com. Um, You know, I guess we can put that in the show notes and my Instagram page. Um, but I have done a lot of different work for. Big names like target cisco um, banks beauty brands i mean it's interesting because it's all very short-lived advertising is a very short um you know you see it for a season for a few weeks and then it disappears and i guess the, the name of the photographer is never um listed usually mm-hmm. uh, but that's not why i it's you know it's It's not why I did it, to have my name listed.
0: Why did you do it?
1: It's because it's this enormous collaboration and expression, creative expression. And I am a collaborator. And I feel you, so a client, it's again, it comes back to trust. Um, So a client comes to me and they have this budget and they entrust me their project and I pull the crew together and there's no almost basically no um room to fail because there's only this one time where you rent a studio or go on this location and with a lot of people and effort and you know makeup and clothing and, and props and whatnot um evolved and then you they trust they trust me, and then we create this idea, let's say an advertising agency had put together, and I get to execute it. And it's almost like giving birth. I always say it's like I'm giving birth to an image and I couldn't do it by myself, right? It's like this enormous collaborative effort. Everybody has their role and then we come together and we do it together and it's just a beautiful process.
0: I'm not very familiar with applications on photography than basically walking up and snapping a picture. Now, I know there's a lot more that entails with your work as far as finding the right angle, the the contrast, the lighting, everything plays enormous role in that beautiful image. If you could just give our listeners, also me included, on how you approach a project and what does the outcome look like?
1: So well there's two different um let's say approaches editorial it's very free form maybe the magazine has a theme for uh, let's say a fashion story and we focus on um, spring fashion and so it's a very creative process you could just dream up whatever comes to your mind and Oh, my mind <laughs> and then I put a crew together who are thinking you know, that that person makeups the right person that stylist closings the right person and then whatever model and then we make i make a plan and then we go and shoot it and then it's edited and presented to the magazine and then they like it and then turn it into a story you see in in, in the magazines
0: And in a nutshell, but I know there's definitely a lot more like things that for me being an introvert, I have my own system on when I approach something. I'm just, it's like, it's automatic with the information that comes to me that I've been down this path of doing this type of work that I see things a lot more than an average person. So I was was kind of looking for those details. You can
1: Mm.
0: throw something out there like that.
1: Um, well, I would say I'm also like you, very organized. And as I said, there's no room for to mess up or fail. So, but my my gear and my technical aspects are, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm shooting, let's say, with a Nikon or a Canon, because it's just like a um, you you you're a repair man. You have your tools, have your tool belt. So that is all sorted. And maybe that's what you're referring to. You yes, you ma'am. know your gear. You know what you're doing. But then when you come together, and it's even like even right now, we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, when you let go because you know you're completely prepared. And then that's when actually the magic happens. Because that's we right. know we've done the best we could. Now we can just trust the unfolding. I
0: like that. I really do. Now let's transition from our, what we've been talking about to the little cliffhanger that I've been leaving our audience as far as an end end of life doula and what that entails and with your life coaching. But if we were to look at the difference and the similarity of a midlife coach and an end of life doula, what is the difference in those two positions and what are the similarities?
1: So, well, maybe I should back up a bit. So, I did this, as I said, I did this training to become an end of life doula. Um, At the end, I'm actually not really working with end of life because I thought what I learned is so profound that I want to take this knowledge and these tools to the right here, right now, into the middle of the life and apply the tools into okay. my praxis, the midlife coaching. And um because at the end, you know, there is actually no difference because when we go at the end of life and then suddenly we're confronted literally, you know, with the end. And then we think about wow, what do I want? How should my last three months of my life be? What is my legacy? What do I leave behind? How do I want to transition you know, there's so many aspects, right? It suddenly becomes down to, to all these things. What's my, how am I want to be buried even, you know? Do I want to have a party? I don't know. There's all these things suddenly come up, but then it's almost too late because then it's, you know, there's, so, there's a lot of people, sadly, you know, never engage on this topic. And then they say, oh, I wish I've done that trip, but now I'm too sick. I can't go and travel to... Mm-hmm. The speech I had dreamt my entire life of going to, or oh, I wish I would have mended my relationship with my daughter. And it's so sad that now I don't know if I have the energy to do this. So, that to me was so heart wrenching when I heard those things that I said, I need to bring it back here. I need to bring it right here, right now, into the middle. And if we start thinking about those things, then we don't, you know, are not on the end. Then we get to actually restructure our life and live a much more fulfilled and authentic life. In the, And at the end, then, we don't have to have these regrets.
0: I really like that. With this new lens that you brought to your, your audience that you're working with, what is the normal or typical kind of, uh, things you address problems that you address and did this new approach that you brought in, bring in the results that you anticipated or.
1: Well, it's, I think it's a long, a longer process, you know, any change, right. That change doesn't happen overnight. And Mm -hmm. I think we, it starts with the willingness Mm-hmm. It starts. Maybe it starts with a nagging feeling, but then it becomes louder. The voices maybe they go away and then the voices come again. And then so next thing we know, we find ourselves maybe talking to somebody like me, because yes, we don't have the tools. Um, so then the real work starts, and it's something we have to work on for. Who knows actually I can probably entire our entire life right <laughs> because we tackle one problem and then the next one maybe comes as deeper we go the, the more um, we learn about ourselves mm-hmm. so
0: so if we transition your about me states that you lost everything when finding your way to transformation now, with yourself, what does that significance look like about your loss?
1: You mean when when I said that I, I went through the crisis? That's what I lost. And yes, ma'am. Um, I lost my entire belief system mm-hmm. and my 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 community. Uh, So, I mean, I, so I went through a a crazy divorce and I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's, you know, it's, so it's basically, it is a death. If you make a plan for your life and then you, it falls apart and you lose your community, you lose your structure, you lose, um, you know, your outlook, you lose your planning, you lose your dreams, all of those things sort of went away. And that's why I got very interested in the topic of death because I felt like it was um, death and it was, I had to let it go and I had to grieve it. I, I grieved it for months on the end. But then, because I had to let it go, I also created this space within me that I was ready to receive something new and actually rebirth myself and pick up all the pieces. I thought, hmm, this is who I am. This is who I need to be. And through this experience, what I learned in this process, I feel that's also an enormous gift I can give forward when I work with my clients.
0: Okay. Now, with death, have you one, have you worked with, actual patients that were experiencing or going through hospice and if so what was the bond what was the the tension can we go into that i'm i'm really curious as far as how that environment went for you
1: it's so precious it's precious and i think that's another thing um It's delicate, it's raw, it's just, I don't know, how should I put it? It's heart-wrenching, but it's all love. And it's another experience why I want to bring this back to, to here and now, because life is just so precious and we take so much for granted when we're in the middle of it and we get so distracted by external unimportant things Mm -hmm. but at the end what really matters is how much we loved and the relationships we carried through our life and how we were able really to maybe sometimes step out of our comfort zone and really risk Mm -hmm. and live that dream and even if that dream was a short-lived dream but just go for it
0: So what type of advice would you give to someone who is dying? What do you find those who are in that situation have the hardest time tolerating about end of life?
1: Wow. I don't think we can, it's hard to tell somebody anything, right? Because Mm-hmm. It has to come from them. But I think the most important thing is that, to, that they can experience that they're not alone, that they're held in love, that they're supported, and that whatever comes their way, that there's a support system around them. And I think that's one of the also very tragic effects right now of our the way we live, because a lot of people really die on pass by themselves mm-hmm. and in a hospital setting with horrible noise and, um, you know, neon light. Um, maybe now this year more than ever because we're not uh, allowed, relatives are not allowed, family members to go and um, visit or um, be there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe. It's again, like I've, I know I'm bringing this back into the here and now, but if we, again, think about what mortality or dying really means, and it doesn't even have to be um, the big deaths, but the small ones, and we engage on this topic that we sort of familiarize ourselves, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all born to die, And it's a it's a normal process. So if we take on this topic and this conversation and just bring it into our, you know, the dinner table and then we maybe learn about our beloved family members or our partners and know how they how they think about this, how they feel. And we take that, the, the scariness away from it and we make ourselves very familiar with this topic. Then it becomes an act of love. You okay. know, be, can I, say one more thing? Because yes, no. it's so, yeah, no. <laughs> because you know, it's um, I feel like it's, it's such a gift just, that for instance, I, I had this conversation with my parents and at well, at first it was very uncomfortable. My mom she likes to talk about this more than my dad, but mm-hmm. now I know how they feel, what their wishes are, and it made all of us closer because it's such an intimate conversation. So, okay. and it's also brought us closer, and I they feel safer because they know that I understand how they want to transition and take stress away. And so that's all that work, which usually happens often, suddenly, often deaths are very sudden and then nobody knows anything. And so again, I want to bring it back to the the now.
0: Now, when you say bring it back to the now, are you referring to this as accepting death and being able to talk about it as it's a normal process so what then we can start living in the now when we're not afraid of the passing
1: yeah exactly so much of that because not you know not even the deaths I mean our whole life is actually not in the now and I think that's also part that's part of the work really we need to do, and that's part of my work I'm doing with my clients, because we live so much in the future or in the past, but we don't live in the now. But this future we envision may never actually happen. So why are we making all these plans and we like, you know, the perfect body, the perfect look, the perfect job, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, whatever. But we because we're so in the future, we don't even often see what is in front of us. And I think that's such a key, key um, takeaway of also this crisis because it really, really has pushed us into the now. Because we can't really plan that much. You know, our life has shrunk down so enormously. Like, you know, it's just yes. all the things we used to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so we are forced to be much more present. And when we're present, I think we can just live a much better fulfilled and authentic life.
0: Mindfulness is very important along with just mastering your breath. Oh, it can really make an impact in your day-to-day life. But let's go back. You mentioned you do work with clients. Now, is this something you prescribe to them? What is something unique that you tailor to their treatment, I would say?
1: Um, Well, every client has a very unique treatment Mm -hmm. because everybody comes with a different need. So, as a coach, I am working with that person to take some of the roadblocks away. But first, we have to identify the roadblocks. And also, we are working on the dreams or the goals. And let's say you come to me and you say, we identify who, who you envision yourself to be in three years, or in five years, or in 10 years. And then we work backwards. And then we find out what stops you actually of fulfilling or stepping into the stream, into this who you need to be, and that again is the tool from the end of life coming also in here because you know it's okay. again like we are thinking of how if we would really have the end of life, let's say, and you so you come to me and we're making this. We're working together and we're talking about who you envision to be but maybe you haven't really thought about it but if we truly come to okay greg you got three months to live and then you embody that idea and i think then suddenly you know it comes out it will we work through this and bring out what your deepest dreams and aspirations are and then we Sort of take it all apart and find out how you can live this life. So you, at the end, when you really, at the end that you feel like you can say, that was an amazing life.
0: Now, was there a commo- a commodity? A, was there a common theme that you came across with each client? That's far as what's holding them back.
1: Fear. Yeah, fear and not being good enough, not enough self-trust. Um, we're so hard on ourselves. yes. It's always something else um, more so probably than ever with the way social media, the influence of social media, but you know, we are enough and we're amazing. Like we are all heroes. We are really, truly heroes. And if we can come to that and embody that, then it will show, and then we can really step into that authenticity.
0: I like that. Now, is it a continuous practice once you identify the the common theme as far as what they're afraid of, and how do you ensure their success? in this process?
1: Well, I am only a coach. (laughs) I cannot uh, make anybody do anything, right? It has to come from the inside. Mm -hmm. I can be here to support and encourage and provide tools, um, tips, uh, practices. But at the end it's really a personal decision. It's all, we're all on our own journey, right? And however much we want to take on, however much we want to change, however much we really want to have this other life, we say it's something has to come from the depths of our being.
0: Ultimately, we're all afraid of death one way or another, Uh, But that can lead into my fear of spiders, arachnophobia. But it's just like, if we look at why I'm afraid of spiders, is it because that they're hairy, they're freakishly large, but if we dissect it and go through it and trial it, well, the end, it just leads to, I'm just afraid of death.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably... When we dig down and we really take the elevator down and think about why am I so afraid whatever right you you use this example of a spider, but it probably comes down to death because we have not accepted this path of our life and but if we truly accept it, then whatever happens happens right It's radical acceptance at the end then because how much. What can we truly also change? It's again, the pandemic has really shown us that, you know, before we were so in this belief that we're in charge of everything, we are in charge, we manage, but it has shown us that we're actually not. And we have to feel like there's this state of floating. That means we have to trust. We have to trust the trust. We have to trust everything, what comes our way, that this is what's supposed to be happening. And then I'm not saying that we should, um, you know, go out and do ridiculous things and then we just, oh, this is, you know, I had to trust this. That's not what I mean. It's on a much more deeper spiritual, emotional level that we just open ourselves up and say, I trust it. And in this, shadow or even let's say it's a hardship you know or it's painful whatever happens maybe a loss of a relationship or a loss of a job but there is always that flip side to it because it's you know maybe i lose that job and i loved this job but then i lose it and i could get all or uh, consumed and um, about the loss and it but if i can stop myself and really say okay I lost that job. Maybe it had its time, maybe it's done. And then I can see that there's new space. And the moment we can accept that new space and that openness, new things will come our way. And then, whoa, so much amazing newness can come in. And who knows where that takes you.
0: Now, for somebody that's listening, and sometimes I can be this individual depending on. If I maintain a good sleep schedule or not. But when it's that, it's just that simple where we just have to be vulnerable and embrace vulnerability as our authentic self. Somebody would look at it and say, It's just not, that's not easy for me. What would you tell them?
1: I would say, It's right. It's not easy, but it's the only way. It's how much do we want to, know of ourselves and the more we know the more we can be at peace right and sometimes it's scary but then wouldn't it be better to get to know your demons and dragons and befriend them and you can name them and then you can say all right you know you're here but you're not going to sit right next to me today you're going to be outside in the living room or wherever right whatever the metaphor is you you find for your 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 shadow or your demons and your dragons so but once we have that then we we know them and then we can be in control of our situation so much better and then you know we can find out why you react a certain way and the yeah who knows what? There's so much to discover, right? It's about our upbringing, or maybe it's ancestral, or it's cultural, and but we we don't have to just go along with all of those things. We could just change it.
0: You mentioned something that caught my attention: uh, radical acceptance. Um, I read a little bit about that, and that is going out there and accepting everything at face value and not trying to analyze or look into it deeply on why something may have happened and why you didn't get the job. Maybe you were just, you thought differently of yourself, thus you kind of just slouched and then you look down and then now all of a sudden you're not a good candidate because the way you're looking at yourself in the mirror. So if you could just explain that and is that something you do with uh, your patient's clientele?
1: it's something I would like to um, share forward. And I think it's, it takes practice, radical acceptance. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that what, you know, I I never question it or I never look at it. And when you said you, you, you can look at it, but maybe we cannot get stuck with it. We cannot, we don't get hung up on it. And, if we accept certain situations as they are, as they have presented themselves, that again opens up the space for the the goodness or the sun or the crack or the light to come in, even so if it's a hard situation. It's just, I think it's this reframing. If we learn to reframe and get out of our very narrow way of thinking or looking at certain things. But sometimes we just move two degrees to the left or to the right, and suddenly Mm. everything looks different. And I think that also has to do with acceptance, with this radical acceptance. And radical acceptance also offers us almost compassion and empathy towards the other because when i have to accept it i'm like wow i i i get that that takes me to the other side that means that i get to maybe understand more why something happened or why a person reacted that way and that again creates different relationships and maybe deeper intimacy
0: with This radical acceptance and trying to look at how a thought can impact our delayed outcomes. It's difficult to try to talk yourself down when you're experiencing a negative thought. With my practices, I've utilized things that have helped me, may not help others, but what I have come to understand is that it's, you can't control the negative thought, it's going to be there. But what you can do is fill your mind with other thoughts that can overpower that negative one. So if you have this big negative one that you're constantly thinking about, it's in your face, you can just continue to put other thoughts that will minimize it as you fill in the rest of the room
1: yeah isn't it also like it's a is a funny example but you go skiing and there's one tree in front of you and you're like not not gonna <laughs> run into a tree and sure enough you're going to run exactly oh, into yes. that tree isn't that the irony and that's exactly that isn't it you know the, the stories, the, the stories we believe. Right? It's it's mm-hmm. a construct. It's like false, false stories, failed stories. They're mm-hmm. it's they not they're not true. They're just um, constructs of our mind. And I think that's where a lot of the work lies. That we need to really we don't we shouldn't believe all these stories. We really need to come to back, pause, breathe, and really understand who we are and delete those stories
0: in your practices have you found a way that works for you and if you wouldn't mind sharing that that allows you to connect clarity to your present reality and is able to combat this negative internal dialogue
1: for my clients
0: Uh, For your clients or yourself, something that works that you could share with us?
1: Well, I think when we start, start this process of inquiry to learn more about ourselves, we should start small. And so meditation, journaling, breathing, these are all very simple things we can do and we can do them for a minute And so we start slowly. We don't overwhelm ourselves, but we make and start a new habit. Mm -hmm. And I think habit forming is another very interesting topic when it comes to this kind of um, life-changing work. Um, I don't know. Are you familiar with James Clear?
0: Yes, uh, Atomic Habits. I've read that book over a dozen times. I I love the idea, but there's something that I struggle with To understand with, because I lived on both sides of the fence, one being active duty military where structure was outstanding and I could apply anything to that structure because I already had a solid structure to begin with. So if I wanted to take on a side project, I would have that critiqued to a science. Now living on that side of the fence, I can see the benefits of the 1% gains. But what about on the other side where the individual doesn't have any structure? So when they don't have structure, for, this is what I'm, and I'm experiencing it. I've I'm, I'm been on both sides of the fence where if I have no structure currently, how am I able to conjure up the ability to establish something that will keep me accountable in myself and doing the thing that I want to do? I
1: think there's two things. First, you to start writing a journal, a habit mm-hmm. journal, because that way you actually see what your habits are and you write down your bad habits as well. Mm-hmm. And that makes you in some form and way accountable with yourself. And the second is that, yes, we need structure. And it's by simply reporting or being with other humans. If you are completely left alone by yourself, and I'm sure a lot of people experience this right now, it is hard. But then, knowing again, knowing more about how we operate, what our weaknesses are, or where we lie to ourselves, then maybe we can. Invite a friend and say, please just check in with me every other day. And that creates the beginning of another new structure because then you will be held accountable when your friend calls or a coach or your mother, whatever, right? But then you have to report back. And maybe it's uncomfortable in the beginning, but every change is uncomfortable, but it holds you in some form and way again accountable.
0: Accountable, yes. Excuse me. Accountability is the the word that would come to my mind. I would use that as far as being a man of my word and something that I say, I want to live my words with my rhythm of my body and cadence. So when I'm not relying on motivation, when I'm not relying on exterior forces, I can Just be committed to anything that I set my mind to and just do it. If I want to wake up early and go to the gym at dawn, I just open my eyes and I get up and do it. Because I've already practiced being in the shower, taking a ice cold shower. I was able to fight off the abilities. Now, all of a sudden, it ripples out into waking up early. So I, I can definitely understand that. If we can transition to our wrap up, I just have a few questions. And a couple of comments. If I were to say this, what does this come to mind? Let me rephrase that. How can you create transformation if there's no transformation in yourself? Now, when you hear that question, what comes to mind?
1: We have to transform within ourselves first it's and again it comes willingness openness curiosity those are the words which come to mind mm-hmm. and if that doesn't exist then yeah it's complicated but i think we really have to transform from within well again let me maybe i should also i can ref, let me reframe because um well, if we are in a strong community and this community can also influence me, maybe it will inspire me to transform. So I think it's it's a very interesting dynamic because, yes, transformation has to come from within and it ripples out into the community. But if I am in an environment where I can feel inspired, it can also spark. Something
0: within me. So now are you referring to um, individuality and environment, no, situationalism and environmentalism? So individuality, environmentalism, and that situation is what gives that spark from the environment to the individual to act.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you looking in that direction?
1: Mm-hmm. For instance, um we could take um, um a situation like I live in an environment where everybody around me, my neighbors are very conscious. They um separate the trash, they don't really drive with cars, they walk, you know, it's just so it's so maybe I just moved to this neighborhood and it's a very new thing to me and suddenly I'm like, wow, this is interesting. But then again, yeah, I bring the curiosity to situation. But maybe it's just because I'm, I, yeah, maybe it's just black, just simple curiosity. And but then, so that can really bring change into my life because I'm surrounded by this environment. In this case, my neighbors. Okay.
0: That, so if I were to, so are you saying? Uh, are you connecting the dots between universality and cultural specificity?
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: And that is seen in addressing these norms, and then that allows you to gain a new perspective in selectivity, if I'm not mistaken. But that might be too deep for a lot of other people to, to grasp. Um, I get what you're saying. That's really interesting. How did you, did, did that come to you naturally, or is that something that you study in your downtime?
1: I feel like it's part of the traveling. I think when you expose yourself to so many different cultures and yes. um, countries and rituals you I think then it sort of becomes part of that what you pick up in the air Mm -hmm. can I say that yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and you know living yeah I mean even I mean lived I lived in some third world countries right and The people, did they influence me? Yeah, they totally influenced me. Or I lived in Asia. Did I become suddenly sort of semi-Buddhist or Zen? Yeah, because they had, you know, they got up in the morning, they would do Qigong or something in the park and Mm -hmm. um, have all these mantras and meditate. And we're like, wow, this is, how are they so, why are they so calm (laughs) what I need to do I need to know about this I need to learn something so I think we can all influence each other
0: yes and all have a morning routine it definitely is very beneficial Uh, now if we could if I can ask you what is some good advice that you would prescribe our listeners and what is some bad advice to avoid what would you recommend
1: Um, First one would be practice and patience. Whatever we start, we should start small, but keep at it. And the most important thing is to start.
0: Yeah.
1: And from there, I think, again, it will ripple out. We will build strengths and new habits. A bad advice, a bad, something bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, bad to avoid, yes.
1: Bad to avoid. Um, taking the phone out of the bedroom would be, I think, one we all probably have accustomed and doing it. First thing we wake up, we have the phone. And I think we need to practice half
0: you So you're saying to keep the phone? That is bad no. advice to avoid. So we want to keep the phone in the bedroom. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> you know, we're not going to keep it. No, <laughs> I don't think we should keep it. No.
0: <laughs> no, that 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 we will. That's excellent. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you, and where can they learn more about your
2: work?
1: Um, my website, Claudia Gottsvermann, um, on then Permission to Bloom coaching.com. And my Instagram pages. That's also permission to bloom. That's where you can find me.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Claudia. I do appreciate your time for coming on to Your Transformation Station.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. You take care.
2: You've been listening to Your Transformation Station, your voice on the hard truths of leadership. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. Remember, your transformation station is on all major platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, and YouTube at YTSThePodcast. And visit the website at YTSThePodcast.com. Till next time.